You are now listening to Halos in the Infield, an Angels baseball exclusive podcast. Hey, 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 welcome into another episode of Halos in the Infield podcast with your host, Todd Fox, Todd Fox and the other host. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Fernando. <laughs> Fernando. And we have a special guest. Please uh, allow us to uh, in- introduce you or no, introduce yourself, Mr. Yeah, I'll, I'll take over. Uh, my name is Kieran Lovegrove. I have been a professional baseball player now for about nine plus years. I've played for the Indians, the Giants, the Orioles, the Dodgers, and the Angels organizations through that time. Uh, and just this past season, I decided to speak out against MLB's treatment of minor league players. Nice. And that seems to be a part of what we've been talking about here. Um, Fernando start, started the ball with our page about that. Um, when he was talking to Buttry and then we, we uh, heard about you too. So we were very proud of that, uh, of your, of you speaking out and we're going to get into uh, what has changed and what has transpired. And, but, uh, but yeah, Fernando, we want to start this one off with some questions or you want to get into uh basic, cause he gave us a little bit of a, a breakdown on himself, but where you want to go for this? Yeah. So let's start off with, uh, with, uh, with high school. So you went to school at uh, Mission Viejo, correct? You graduated in 2012. Correct. Uh, you were a top 75 ranked uh, player, and that was according to uh, the perfect game in high school. Uh, and you were top 15 in the state of California. So walk me through all that. So when you're going through those numbers, is that something that people actually throw at you? Like your coaches are like, oh, my gosh, you're top 15. Like, is that something that you're almost forced to pay attention to? Yeah, and I think the, the worst perpetrator of that was probably my own father. He was very excited by the numbers, whereas – you know, I, I looked at it like, well, this is just one guy's opinion on me. And so if you read into that stuff too much, you can absolutely get yourself thrown out of proportion. And as much as I wanted to try and stay out of that, it does come up quite a bit. And so you kind of just end up juggling, uh, knowing that there are players out there that are better than you. You know, I got to go into showcases with guys like Giolito and Freed and, you know, you see the top level talent and you, you can kind of realistically compare yourself and, uh, I knew at that time I wasn't as polished as those guys. I didn't have it quite as figured out mentally. Um, so, you know, it was a great ba- baseball area to grow up in because you just had such a density of talent. Were, were, you, uh, were you closer to your father as far as was it like his thing pushing you towards baseball or were you, uh, were you leaning that way and he was just pushing you ahead? So uh, for a little background, my dad was born in Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe. And uh, in the 80s, he came over to the U.S., met my mom and went back to South Africa. And in 1994, I was born there, lived there until 99 and then came over to the States. So I was five years old before I ever saw baseball. Wow. You got Uh, a story before you even get to baseball. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) There's always something. There's always there's always more story, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, so in that, you know, I arrived at five years old and just you know, immediately assimilated. So I picked up baseball right away and early in one of those first two years. And I I wish I could remember exactly when it was, but I got to go to a Dodgers game and I got to go on the field with Paul LaDuca. And this is when I was living at the time. And, you know, the kids go out there and you get the sign ball and you stand there for the anthem. Um, That moment is pretty big in my mind and what kind of pushed me to want to play baseball. Wow, so you're probably feeling the the uh, the crowd of fifty some odd thousand on top of you while you're standing next to a major league player. I can't imagine that. That must have been an amazing feeling. 
Well, as much as I love the Dodgers fans, I want to be clear. It was the national anthem, so you're looking at about 20,000. Oh, 20, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot they come after the third inning. That's, They're that's, still trying to get through the go. parking lot. <laughs> Good point. LA Good traffic, point. all the fun stuff. Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I just fell in love with the game then, and I've really never looked back. I've always wanted to play baseball professionally. I think even looking back on all my – you know, school assignments. What do you want to be? What do you want to be? I want to be a baseball player. I want to play professional baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my mind, even long before the opportunity of getting to go professional came about, I was thinking about it as my career. Okay. So walk me through like your first, like, so when you close your eyes and you think back to, you know, your, your first baseball memory actually playing what's like the first thing that comes to your mind you know little league wise or you know pony ball whatever you're playing the the most distinct memory that comes to mind was the first pitch i ever threw was you know the opening day for whatever league you start throwing in this was elsie under little league playing against a team where one of my friends is on the team and he's leading off the very first pitch i throw hits him in the face The first one I ever threw in a game. Um, I think he started crying. I started crying. And then, you know, I think what at that age, I'm probably eight years old, nine years old. Um, um, That's the first baseball memory that like really jumps to mind, which I always find Well, you got back on the horse. Yeah. I I never let it stop me. (laughs) Clearly. But um, hey, that's a very memorable story. Not a lot of people can say it. So. There you go. You live to tell the tale and uh, maybe you were better because of it? Question mark. Uh, who knows? I mean, I've been through a lot. <laughs> I, I went through a lot of pitching stuff in my career. I'm, at one point I had the yips. I mean, we could spend a whole, a whole episode and a half talking about all the shit I went through and I am allowed to swear, right? Oh yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. All the shit I went through in, in the early part of my career, especially. Mm. Okay. Yeah. No, that, maybe that's something for the future. Yeah, maybe. I, I'm, I'm sure those stories will come out eventually. Uh, you know, okay, I think okay. I think um, I think people really like to hear kind of the inner workings of minor league baseball. Mm-hmm. And there hasn't there hasn't really been any good media presentation of it. Nobody knows what it's really like. And I want I want to change that so badly. And that's something that we're definitely going to get to near the end of the interview. I mean, you know, that's what we love bringing minor leaguers on. Because and even major leaguers who who were obviously minor leaguers because everybody who made it to you know the mountaintop has their stories. Everyone, it doesn't matter if you're you know the cream of the crop, Mike Trout, or if you know you're you're a journeyman. You have those stories, you know. And a lot of people never knew they had to care, and that's something we talk about all the time. It, you know, our fan base and you know uh, our community didn't know they ever had to care about life in the minors because there's so many misconceptions on life in the minors. And I'm sure you're probably the first to admit that everyone thinks you guys get paid. well. Oh yeah. I I think when the story first dropped, um, my sister actually reached out to me and she said, uh, my friend, my sister was three years older than me. And she's like, my friend Nat is in tears because she didn't realize that life was like that. And it kind of made me realize like, I'm sure that these uh, articles and information coming out is going to shatter a lot of people's, illusions of what professional baseball is i mean it's touted as america's pastime it's this incredible uh piece of history for americana and yet 
those who are playing minor league baseball are still living in the history, still living off the pay from 60 years ago or 40 years ago, whatever it was. Um, you know, we're still back there. We're still part of history. Yeah. And that was the thing that, uh, you know, a lot of our fans, like Fernando was saying, hadn't understood or, or realized it was still like that because you think major league baseball, you think rich owners, you think they're, you're getting the best of the best They're you know, your prospects, the players that are going to make you future earnings should get the kind of money that they deserve as they come up or whatnot, or at least decent pay. And uh, it shocked me too. Um, what we got, I don't know if you've experienced this or, or talked to major league ball players, but we kind of got the sense with a few that we've talked to that it's sort of a rite of passage. And once they get through that level, that supposedly, you know, Hey, you got to make it through this to get to here. And that's just part of the process. They that's, I think that's the way of that. Most major league ba- baseball players aren't, uh, and why have, they haven't spoke out, should I say, about the minor league system because it's built into them that, hey, you just got to go through this. And once you get through this, then you're there. Don't worry about the past. And I think now you're starting to see baseball players start to say, well, you know what? That did kind of suck the way I went to get to this process. Yeah. More and more what I'm seeing is baseball itself, the game itself, being good enough to make the major leagues – is difficult enough on the, on its own. Yep. I think even if everybody was provided with everything they could possibly need, it would still be one of the most difficult things in sports to do. Mm-hmm. And the idea that, oh, you have to grind, you have to grind. Well, now it's past the point of grinding. Now it's the point of paying out of pocket to play professional yep. baseball. It's leaving your family for six months because you can't afford to have them with you. It's all those things starting to add up. It's the logistics of trying to find housing. That is one of the absolute worst things we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yes, the, the, the cost of housing is high. <clears throat> On top of that, we're dealing with going against the pretty typical year-long lease, you know, get your own furniture. All that stuff works against us in the sense where we arrive in a city, we have three days, and we're supposed to be moved into an apartment. That means paying a security deposit, paying your first month's rent. That means turning on your uh, Wi-Fi. Electricity, those are, yeah. Those are all your upfront costs that you haven't even gotten a paycheck yet. You haven't gotten a paycheck for six months. On, on that note, Karen, did you ever get into a, uh, a situation to where you didn't have the time to get to a, a house and maybe be like, or apartment and be like, hey, you know what? I got to rent a, a hotel for a week or motel. Yeah, we actually dealt this year. We dealt with that just because uh, housing post pandemic is even more difficult than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and Madison, being a brand new city with a bunch of temporary work coming in for all the construction, housing was just really, really difficult to find. Jeez. So in the past, I've shacked up with friends in cities that I've I where I know somebody at least. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had to pay. I remember in sixteen when we were moving in. It was a $1,250 security deposit and $1,300 first month's rent. Oh, man. <laughs> and nobody had gotten paid, so I had to cover it all. Because at that time, oh, I still had some funds from my, my uh, signing bonus. And for the guys who didn't have signing bonuses, they couldn't afford that. There was no possible way to afford that. And so you're picking up tabs sometimes to help out other guys. So you basically got the dumb and dumber bag of IOUs on paper. <laughs> a little bit. I got screwed out of that security deposit too. Cause one of the guys I was living with just destroyed his room. I didn't see how bad it was until after he'd moved out right at the end of the year. Like, time, right? off, and I walked into his room and it was fucking disgusting. That's I, I, I never want to see something like that. again. I mean, dip spit bottles, like 
at least 70 of them in the closet just thrown in there that's like, just oof, that's, yeah it's, that's, that's a no for me and i would have lost it <laughs> he was a, yeah, this was a guy that universally was disliked in every organization he played in he was just unfortunately one of those guys gee i wonder why yeah not a yeah, shock man. right um yeah. so right, you know, uh, things, real quick like before oh go ahead Sorry, no no that, i was go. just saying like sometimes you get stuck with just terrible roommates and you don't really have much of a choice mm-hmm. i think it's a universal issue <laughs> yeah, you know true. yeah minor league baseball and life um, so before we, we stray too far, I do want to bring it right back. You, you said signing bonus. So I thought that'd be a perfect time to maybe bring it back a little bit so we can continue to catch up. Um, so, um, you were committed to ASU at yes. the time of the draft, correct? Yeah. Um, walk me through the recruitment process and why you decided ASU at that time was going to be your college pick. Uh, I had pretty much figured that I wanted to stay in the pack 10, um, okay. You know, West Coast, wanted to stay at least closer to family. Um, originally, the first schools to really recruit me were academic schools. And at that time, I was like, well, if I'm going to play baseball, then the academics don't really matter. Looking back on that, though, if I had had a full ride to Dartmouth, that probably would have been pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, that was one of the Absolutely. first schools. And I, I remember them telling me where it was. And I was like, it gets how cold in the winter? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to yeah. stay somewhere warm. Uh But yeah, I started going through the process and I looked at UCLA and I looked at USC and Stanford and, um, you know, kind of had a decent choice, but who really got me to go to ASU was uh, Travis Jewett, who was a recruiting coordinator and uh, first base coach at the time under Esme and his charisma and, you know, without him being a part of that recruitment process, I probably wouldn't have not ended up at ASU or committing to ASU. He ended up leaving what would have been my first year anyway. So it kind of worked out that I didn't go. Um, yeah. But once I got to the point where there was talk about, hey, we might see you in like the supplementary round. Hey, we might see you in the second. Um, I started really going, all right, so there's a good chance that I, I can forego school. And I kind of latched onto that. And uh, my draft stock definitely dropped towards the end of my senior season. I just got dead arm. I wasn't taking care of myself probably as well as I could be. Mm. or could have been and um so I dropped to the third but you know looking at the position I was in with the organization they were the only of all 30 teams 29 of them had either done in-house or over the phone um you know interviews or conversations it's pretty typical that they do that with high school draftees and even some college draftees and the only team that didn't actually do that was the Indians and I, I know that Antonetti had been at a game of mine where I think I went like three innings, hit three, walked five, struck out six. But like That's he saw crazy. me at my worst and then watched the rest of the game, you know, going back out on the field, running the bases hard, you know, doing all that stuff. Um, based off a conversation I had with the scout, that was part of the reason they liked me. So for any high school kids out there listening, play all nine innings, play hard. If you're a guy who can play the field and you know, or pitch and play the field. If you don't do well on the mound that day, get it back on the other side of the field. You never know who's watching. Absolutely. So you went third round, 110th overall. Uh, am I allowed to share what your signing bonus was? Oh, yeah. yeah I, okay, I mean, so it was $400,000. Yep. Um, you kind of already alluded to why you decided um, that 
that pro baseball would be your thing instead yeah. of uh, ASU. <clears throat> um, well, did, real quick, did you play other sports in high school or was it just baseball? No, I played football my freshman year, ended up with a couple of concussions. wasn't really a sport for me. Um, okay. What position? I also uh, wide receiver and, and free safety. My job was okay. just to get in the way of people. It's freshman football. <laughs> there um, you go. Yeah. But I, I also played golf since I was five years old. So had baseball and okay. golf not been the same season, I probably would have done both. Um, but no, once I got past freshman football, I was pretty much focused on playing baseball through and through. Was baseball your – was pro baseball, should I say, your first job, or did you have any other, like, summer jobs when you were growing up? No, I was I was lucky enough to, you know, live upper middle class and have a family that really kind of gave me everything I needed so I didn't have to work, and I was able to dedicate an enormous amount of time to baseball and, you know, being a kid, which I find really important at that age. Uh, Absolutely. You know. Well, yeah. jun- oh, go, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say junior high and then in high school, like, being impressionable with the game itself. Was there a specific ball player that you looked up to or was there, or I want to know that like, was there a player that you idolized that you want to emulate off of yourself, off of that person or, and also was there a, uh, what's your favorite baseball movie? Cause I think as baseball players, we all have that one movie that just gets us in the feels or gets us motivated. So the player without a doubt was Eric Gagne. Oh, okay. Growing up in LA, first baseball you know seeing Eric Gagne in his prime yeah I think I was at the game I'm trying to remember exactly the number I think I was at the game where he saved his 56th in a row oh, okay um which at the time I think was the new record I can't remember exactly this is a long time ago for did me you to have, be remembering did you have the shirt with a little beard on it I didn't have the shirt but I have posters I I my okay. dad made something way back when there was a poster I had of Eric Gagne that was like him pitching with kind of a shadow image of his face in a headshot. Oh, that's cool. And so my dad recreated it with me when I must have been like 11. All right. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I mean, that was how old am I? 16 years ago. So imagine doing that on a computer 16 years ago. That takes talent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aaron uh, still holds the record for the record. It's currently, it's at 84. It's at 84. For anybody wondering. Yeah, I, I think 56 was like either single season or it was like 54. I can't remember the numbers. Um, and then baseball movie. You know, this is actually something I I don't know that I have. Oh, really? It, okay. You know, it, it might be Major League Two. Oh, okay. Okay. And wow. I don't know why. I couldn't explain it. I couldn't rationalize it. It's just the one that I have the most fun watching. Um, See, I, w- I was figuring that one or Sandlot. For you because you know growing up the whole baseball thing and liking you know or at least going to dodger games i would have figured maybe that one i like is, sandlot i mean 42 oh yeah 42 is, is a good movie. from like Great movie. a movie perspective that is one of the most incredible movies but for me personally yeah if major league two is on tv i'm gonna sit and watch it every single time nice are you aware that it has a five percent on rotten tomatoes <laughs> <laughs> i'm one of those five percent i there you is go it really that low that's incredible that is pretty low right now Oh, well, it has a 45% audience score, but the critics gave it a 5%. Oh, well, critics are always rough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 45 audience yeah. is still pretty fine. <laughs> but also, oh, you know, I think it was like getting drafted by the Indians, so having that little connection to it and That's like all, those, all those little things. I think over time, it just became my favorite movie for whatever reason. 
<laughs> is that something that's like synonymous with players and you know major league the movie and like being in the Indies organization like do people talk about it like as a joke just because you know it's uh, part of the franchise probably the biggest like joke around it was Vaughn like oh, just Ricky the idea Bubba. of having a Ricky Vaughn and obviously Karen check is is taking that on a little bit but yeah. um no, I don't think it was probably talked about as much as it could have been. There were certainly quotes that were thrown around. Um, okay. Yeah, I think, I think that would probably even out with any other baseball movie. Yeah, everyone mm-hmm. does the Bob Euchre thing, you know, when it's, yeah. when it's a terrible pitch just a bit outside. Yeah, every <laughs> game ever. <laughs> yeah. I think there's always one. Yep. Yeah, right. Okay, cool. So let's catch up a little bit now. So as you already said, so you're drafted by Cleveland. Uh, then went to the Orioles, the Giants, the Dodgers, but that was cut by COVID. And yep. then the Angels is where, you know, we currently uh, stand now. Yes. So what are some of the biggest immediate differences that you saw between the organizations was, you know, that you feel comfortable sharing? Um, yeah, I think I can probably do that without, without getting in too much trouble. Uh, so yeah. being with the Indians for seven years, I really got to see them go through a transition, a front front office transition, and then a kind of philosophy transition and how they treated their players and pitching. And uh, I will give an enormous amount of credit to the Indians. They invest a ton of money in their minor league development. That means revamping their weight room, spending money on food, making sure guys are training well, doing training camps. Um, they really, they do a good job of solidifying their foundation. Uh when I went to the Giants in 19, they were also going through a front office shift. So that was the first year uh, Farhan Zaidi was coming in. And they took the approach of, well, if we sign enough arms, some of them will work. So I think there were like 60 AAA arms or something ridiculous. Wow. It was some absurd number. And um, so going into that, like there was just a million things going a million different directions that year. Um but you could tell that there was a bit of a plan. And then, you know, looking back hindsight 2020 seems to have worked out pretty well. Um, they seem to have put some pieces together that can win baseball games. And that's really what it comes down to. It doesn't always have to be the most talented, you know, star power player. It just has to be a group of 25, 26 guys who win baseball games. Um, Orioles got there in the second half of 19. Same thing. Front office transition all over the place. But I noticed a difference in culture between the three teams, especially when I got to the Orioles. It seemed like from the previous regime, the players just didn't want to buy in at all. Yeah. They wanted to do it their way. You know, the new guys weren't doing anything. It was just this kind of weird, uh, this this weird anti-front office mentality. And uh, it was, you know, younger guys. It, it was a little strange. Um then getting to the Dodgers in 20, you see the complete opposite side. Yeah. You see what happens when a front office and ownership really invest in every single player. <clears throat> yep. And it was light and happy in the clubhouse. Uh, you know, guys were able to express themselves in ways that they wanted to by, you know, wearing certain, you know, what they wanted to out to stretch. There weren't any rules regarding that. Um, it really was a pretty incredibly flat system in which, you know, the director of player development and the clubby and, you know, the cook, everyone's viewed as equally as important and equally as uh, necessary for the whole thing to function. No one really puts themselves above one another. And I think that creates an environment in which everybody really buys into the system Mm -hmm. and it works. 
Clearly, they, they pump mean, out minor league talent like it's going out of style. And you know, it's part to, partly to do with their scouting. I think a huge amount to do with their player development personnel, <clears throat> and then third, just their culture. Players are happier to be there. I, I would say that has to do a hell of a lot with Andrew Friedman when he brought his crew over there a few years back. Uh, I guarantee you that probably wasn't the case before Friedman got there um, and McCourt was still running the show. Yeah, there were some some musings that that was yeah. not working out so well. But um, yeah, whatever they've done, you know, what I got to see for the short amount of time I was there was pretty mm-hmm. incredible. And then getting to the Angels in 21, um, I just saw a blank slate. Mm. I mean, really, it, it was a lot of free agents, not a lot of organizational guys. The organizational guys that were there were from the Epler years. And so they felt disenfranchised because their front office had left without ever really giving them any positive. Yep. And now you have this new front office coming in and you've never had a chance to meet them. Yeah. And so when I got there, I had already decided, you know, this is probably my last year of baseball. It's one last ride. I'm going to be myself. I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to try and bring as much positivity as I can to the team. Um, and so when I first got there, I started talking to the younger guys about culture and having a culture of teammates who look out for one another, who care for one another, you know, all those little things, like seeing everybody as an equal, respecting everybody as an equal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, one of the first things I did was stand in front of the the pitchers as, you know, I was the first guy called out to do his introduction and, you know, kind of told my story. And then at the very end, just because once I wanted to live authentically, I'd been doing it since 19, when I came out with the giants, uh, I said, Hey, you know, you guys, I'm probably the only bisexual player you guys have ever had as a teammate. So if you have any questions about it, like, just ask me. The only way we're going to get to understanding is if you just talk to me. And the one thing I will say is that group of teammates has been incredible in my life. They are good. They were extremely supportive. They were curious. They were respectful. Um, I just, I really, really value where baseball's headed in terms of its kind of its values, I suppose. And you guys made a run towards the end of the season, right? Because uh, it looked like you guys were coming together. Yeah, you know, I think, um, man, we had a really, really solid team to start. We had a really close, tight-knit team. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the times you're kind of at the mercy of whatever's happening at the big league level. So Yeah, they were, they were plucking towards the end. That's right. Man, towards the end, we ended up with, I think, only like 12 of our original 26 or 28. Okay. Uh, yeah. Are, are you good friends with uh, McKinnon? What's his first name? Uh, Dave. David. Yeah, Dave. Yeah. David. Uh, yeah, we got to know each other pretty well through the season. Um, he might be one of the most incredible bat-to-ball hitters mm-hmm. and one of the most incredible zone uh, – has probably the most incredible zone awareness of anybody I've gotten to play with. I mean, yeah, we, truly uh, was a spectacular guy to watch. Yeah, we talked to him. He had a great season this year or early in the season, he was raving about the clubhouse. Yeah, he yeah. just – he had a few unlucky kind of rolls and bounces where his shoulder went and, you know, he dislocated that shoulder a couple times this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, he's just – he's an incredible first baseman. He's an incredible teammate. And he's an incredible hitter. Yet he's one of those guys who might get stuck because you have a Jared Walsh in the big leagues. Yeah, we're traded one or two. 
That's, yeah, I mean, there. I, I thought there was a chance he might get traded this year, but when you have two shoulder injuries that go on the IL for, it's just, you know, from a from a trade perspective, teams are going to be pretty wary of that. And I, and I had a question as far as like getting back to what you were talking about, you know, coming out to the to the uh, players. Um, could you have seen yourself doing that in the time period of let's just say ten years ago? Like, say for instance, when a Michael Sam in the NFL was coming out. Uh, he got a lot of flack. He got made fun of, uh, wasn't respected. D- could you have seen yourself maybe being strong enough to to stand up to the kind of criticism? Because nowadays it just doesn't seem to be that big of a of a of a thing to where you know where you would get the hate. Like now, like like back in the day, people would get would not get uh, hate for hating on those that came out. Now it's like if one of us were to speak out against you speaking out about just being who you are you know, we get all the flack because, Hey, that's not cool. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I personally had accepted it for such a long time. I had known from the time I was 12 years old. And so, okay. um, I'd never really doubted who I was, but I never really admitted it out loud uh, until I was, I think about 23 or 24. Mm -hmm. Um, so no, at the time I was at the time of me, you know, me first getting in about 10 years ago at 17, 18, there's no chance the the culture of clubhouses has changed enormously in that 10 years mm-hmm. the actual verbiage being used by players has changed absolutely um, you hear a lot less slurs you hear a lot less epithets um that would you know 10 years ago just be thrown around pretty flippantly yeah. so i'm glad that it's, it's moved past that it, it wasn't so much a fact that there were just an enormous amount of homophobes in the game it was the fact that it was just part of everyone's lexicon growing up. Yeah. Even absolutely. myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just learning to break those habits. And this is one that, you know, thankfully happened very quickly and very kind of naturally. Uh, I don't think baseball was ever a game of non-acceptance because it's probably the most multicultural game in, in the world. Yes. I yeah. mean, you live in a clubhouse with people from maybe seven, eight other countries. Mm-hmm. You better learn oh, to be cool. tolerant. Yeah. So the game moved quickly and, and, you know, uh, the, the line I've used over and over because I think it fits really well is baseball is a game of statistics and me being the only queer person in 6,000 professional baseball players would be a pretty incredible statistic, uh, statistical anomaly. But see, even, but, but the thing is though, like even in this time period where yes, you know, we kind of said, okay, it can, it can be glossed over at times, which is, which is sad in itself too. But you know, what you're talking about, you know, you can't be the the only one and this, you know, there has to be others out there. Is this maybe with you speaking up, that'll give them the courage to be like, Hey, you know what I am too. And you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm not going to hide it, you know? And, and it is one of those things where it, it, you know, I can't imagine, you know, going through that because, you know, when I was in high school real quick, uh, I played football. And after one, one day, my friend invited me over to, to play some football on, on Nintendo, you know, and we're over there playing and he sits next to me, he puts his hand on my thigh. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And, and that could have freaked me out, you know, cause back in the day, I'm like, I'm, you know, what are you doing? And, and he looks at me and he says, uh, he said, Oh, don't please, please don't tell anybody I'm gay. I'm like, dude, I don't care, man. Like, like just, you know, re- respect me, respect, you know, ask me, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, the rules still apply to anybody. It doesn't really matter what yeah. your sexuality is. There's still rules that apply to dealing with other people. Yeah. And that's the thing. If people would understand that, then we'd be in a better place. I think that's the part that hasn't transitioned. So yeah. And like, 
there was certainly this, uh, to me, this kind of fear of being, you know, how my teammates would look at me. Yep. And considering how much time we spend in clubhouse and then shower together, like you do sort of get this voice telling you like, oh, they're going to think you're a predator. They're going to think you're looking at them. Mm-hmm. I made it abundantly clear to my teammates. I'm like, first off, none of you are my type. You don't know why? <laughs> you're baseball players and you're straight. Like, I don't find that attractive. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, you have your type personal, like anybody else. Yeah, so I mean, exactly. Just personal preference. So let's get that out there now. Like, <laughs> you're all not even close to being in my league first off. I bet you it's still <laughs> offended one of those heterosexual guys. They're like, well, he's not into me. Come on, man. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's always that. I find that very funny. Um, but uh, it, It's an ego thing, man. It's an ego thing. It absolutely is. And I, you know, I, I think finally getting to the point where I've been trying to dissolve mine on my own um, without the help of some ego dissolving substances. <laughs> um, it's It's gone well for me. I, I really... You know, I recommend to anybody to read Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. There's information in there that I think can help just about everybody. Um, for me, it was really life-changing to read that book. Um, so that to anyone out there who's struggling with whether it's your sexuality or just the, the daily grind, I think it's a really, really powerful message in that book. Okay. We appreciate you being willing to open up to us about that that very important moment of your life um, and is something that is still groundbreaking today. And, um, you know, we're we're always happy for anybody who's not afraid to be who they are. We here try to strive to have a supportive community. So, you know, thanks for giving those words of encouragement to others. And, um, you know, I'm glad that we're sitting here today where we are instead of where we were, you know, 10 years ago, or, you know, when somebody like Michael Sam, you know, came out and, you know, it was a giant media circus when it shouldn't. Yeah. Have. It's just, this guy's a normal person. No, and that's, so, you know, you know I, I knew that if I had put anything out on social media, if I'd put anything out in general, it was going to turn into a media storm, mm-hmm. which I understand the need for that for visibility's sake, but from a personal standpoint, I didn't want my career to now be inextricably linked with my sexuality. Cause I don't think that yeah. they go hand in hand. I don't think that me being bisexual has the slightest to do with my baseball. What? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you'd be shocked, but it turns out that there's not a lot of, you know, sexuality going on on a baseball field. Yeah. I mean, like, it's like we, me and Fernando have talked before. It's like, you know, how people like want to identify as whatever an inanimate object around them, a car or whatever, you know, they view themselves as, I told Fernando, dude, if we have a pitcher with a two ERA and wants to start, but he says, hey, accept me because I view myself as a tree. Well, then you're the hell of a tree to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't <laughs> care, man. That's whatever you do in your personal life. That's great. As long as you ain't breaking the law, who cares? Yeah, as long as you're not hurting anybody, you're not harming anybody. Yeah. I, I'm really kind of go for it. Yeah. Express absolutely. yourself how, how you need to. Um, well, you know, one thing, one thing I just want to kind of touch on, and it, it's something I've been bringing up because – it's very interesting how the kind of view around this has changed. So obviously 10 years ago, Michael Sam, mm-hmm. media storm, all sorts of things being thrown around. We, we fast forward to last year and this year, um, you know, Naseeb coming out, Olympic athletes coming out. And it's kind of just been this celebration of like, Hey, we're doing it, mm-hmm. but it's not turning into this media firestorm. Um, I, I want to, 
kind of thank, I want to make sure that I thank all those who kind of came before me. While a lot of people have been saying, you know, hey, you're really brave, you're really courageous for what you're doing. Um, I don't necessarily agree because I think those who had the true kind of bravery, the true courage, um, you know, coming way before me, generations before me, those who could not live as closeted, could not live as heteronormative as I did, um, those who had to live out and had to live proud, despite the persecution, despite the discrimination, despite the death threats, but despite the overwhelming pressure put on them every day, they went out and they continued to fight for this cause. And without them, Naseeb, myself, none of, none of us can do what we did. We can't come out on a, on a media stage like this and have it be okay without years and years and years and you know generations of queer icons and queer activists really, really speaking up and putting themselves out there. So um, just every time I, I get the chance, I do want to just thank all those who came before. Yeah, I think that's um, that's very noble of you and for others to do as well, because, again, like uh, the scrutiny, I mean, let's just say, you know, with what you brought up about, you know, death threats and everything, that stuff's really serious. And then not only not only that, I mean, a lot of these people were made fun of on top of it. So you're trying to you're trying to make a life changing decision. Um, you're, you're in the spotlight. You're trying to say, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to like, just step up to make sure you know that, Hey, there's no questions why I'm not dating a woman because this is why. And you try to put yourself out there and then you turn into a meme or you turn into a joke, a running thing. And that was, that sucked. You know, at least we've passed that part. You know, we, you know, we keep going up on the ladder to equality and, you know, Hey, you know, more power to the ones that do speak out like that, because, it it is it has been like you said easier because of what the people and the pioneers from before uh, came out and did. Yeah, absolutely, and um, I'm I'm really happy with we where we are getting to. Um, you know, I have kind of my personal thoughts on human sexuality, which I'm they're sure will come out uh, either in a book or in a story or something like that. But uh, yeah, I just I don't think that we've fully understood it. Um, as it pertains to our human evolution and you know that's a whole whole can of worms to open but the variety has been around for a long time Mm -hmm. long long time thousands and thousands of years at least Uh, I think it's time for the public at large to understand that that variety is never going to go away yeah Um, slowly but surely yeah it's getting there for sure I, I mean absolutely I think in 15 years, we went from like 48% acceptance of gay marriage to 80 something percent or 90%. Mm. Um, yeah. Like it's it, the, the paradigm is shifting very quickly around LGBTQ issues. And I find that to be very positive. As do we, as do we. Um, so to tie it back to, um, to minor league baseball, as we you know, yeah, slowly let's start get back closing to baseball. out here. <laughs> um let's talk about some of like maybe the horror stories that you feel comfortable sharing so in the past we had manitinelli on another uh, podcast i did say things like he saw teammates cooking ramen noodles out of bathtubs he saw uh people or minor league baseball players uh keeping chicken inside of air conditioned units because they 
couldn't afford a way to keep their meat cold. What are some of the things that you feel comfortable talking about? Another thing is Ty Butcher talking about like motels with mold in them and unsafe conditions and bad neighborhoods with barbed windows. Like that's something that's normal in minor league culture. Yeah, it's it's weird to think about like, oh, what's a horror story? Because I'm like, yeah, that's just Thursday. Like, yeah, <laughs> you do become really, really numb to stuff. I mean, apartments with ants and cockroaches, pretty damn common. Um, paper thin walls where you can hear neighbors fighting. Uh, I mean, like not being able to get sleep because of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Buses breaking down in the middle of nowhere and having to eat two meals at a gas station while you wait for the next bus. Um, hotel, I mean. There's a specific hotel, and, and for any player who's been there, they'll know exactly the one I'm referring to. It is a Super 8 motel in Clinton, Iowa. It is, at least of what I've seen, the single worst hotel in minor league baseball. I know it's not used anymore because I can't remember if it was last year, year before, two years, whatever it was. Um, there was a team that arrived and then basically said, absolutely not. We are not doing this. We're not subjecting our players to this. It's that bad. Um, boy, what else? I can't, like, trying to trying to process that all. There's so many. How is the diet between teams? I know you mentioned the organizations. I want yeah. To how, how, did, how did they – how were the diets? If you had to rank them, obviously I would, I would think the Dodgers would be up top, right, as far as food. Yeah, Dodgers are up pretty high. Um, <laughs> they spend a lot of money on food. Okay. I would say the Angels were probably the worst <laughs> at the start. Oh, okay. They definitely got better uh-huh. as the year went on, but that was after we raised a little bit of hell. Okay, so they went like, from – We got an extra meal and we got better meals. They went from tea- – Yeah, and Swanson I know dinner. you won't take credit for that, but that was because of you. That you helped. Yes, you, I, I – it definitely embarrassed because it got to our network. It got to our local networks here. And then um, it was being piped around. No one was, everyone was like, what, what, what? And then all of a sudden Perry makes a freaking uh, announcement or a statement. Uh, you know, Dennis cool. A few other guys high up made statements about it. So, and so, you know, you made a difference right there. Well, yeah. I mean, and that was, that was something that I think, should have been a no-brainer. If, you, if you're not making sure that your players are eating good food, mm-hmm. you're not trying to win baseball games, exactly. in my opinion. I mean, the amount of work, the amount of effort, the amount of time, the amount of sacrifice that these players put in to then receive, like, a dry three-ounce chicken breast and, you know, some corn with some, like, it's, you're not, you're not taking care of your guys at all. And it's even worse when, like, early part of the year, we were getting maybe 1,400 calories covered. Mm-hmm. So from a caloric intake perspective, that's barely above minimum of, yep. like, what we need to eat. So let's double that to 2,800, which is pretty low for a baseball player. Mm-hmm. You're not covering that 1,400 on your own. That gets pretty damn expensive, especially when we were dealing with the pandemic protocols and we had to – postmates or uh you know delivers us talking about 15 dollar delivery fees mm-hmm. yeah you know and they only give you i so if i'm correct me if i'm wrong it's around 20 dollars. i know it depends on the club 20 ish dollars per diem per day and that's when you're the visiting team and then most of the time you have to pay the large sum of that to the clubby correct 
So while they don't have clubhouse dues anymore, um, they did away with clubhouse dues. Good. We still have to tip. Like, out of respect to our clubbies, it's what we do. Okay. Like, they work extremely hard. Sometimes you don't tip, depending on the clubby, but for the most part, you (laughs) want your guys to be taken care of. Yeah, yeah. It's not an exorbitant amount of money at the end of every week. It's probably one and a half days worth of meal money. Um. The problem is one Postmates is going to run you $35. Yep. yep. So now you've chewed through almost two days of meal money for one meal. Yeah. So, so how do you and other players deal with that kind of pressure? You've already got enough pressure trying to perform, keep your job, but then also you're penny pitching and you're being your own accountant. Like, okay, I got this much for this much. That's got a way on you at some point, right? Or, or other players? Have you seen? Have you seen people freak out about that? I think it's an everyday conversation. I mean, it, it really, really is an everyday conversation. It comes up at least once, and uh, everybody has their own different way of kind of coping with it. Whether it's um, you know relying entirely on a spouse or a family, um, if it's working a bunch of jobs in the off season so you can have saved up money to blow through the year in because you know you're going to have to spend more if you want to keep your diet, you know, that you've been doing through the offseason. Um, so it extends far past the player. I mean, this puts enormous strain on relationships. It puts enormous strain on families. Um, you know, it it goes a lot further than just the player now because it's so far outside of the player's control that they have to ask for help somewhere. So there are others that have to be involved in order for you to play the sport. And it, the sport itself is really draining and puts a ton of pressure on players. Combine that with trying to maintain a relationship with your family, your wife, your parents, you know, whatever it may be. While there, it, it is just a lot more than the players should be focusing on if they're trying to win baseball games. Wow. Okay, so walk me through the decision process to reach out to ESPN. What was going on in your mind? Was there a specific, you know, set of events? Or was it just you woke up one day and you're like, you know what, today's the day, enough's enough. Was it something that's been brewing over the last couple of years that you said, you know what, something has to change and I'm going to be the change I want to see in the world? Or was it just sporadic? Uh, where, where it really started was, uh, Harry Marino with advocates for minor league baseball reaching out. He, he reached out to upwards of a thousand, if not more minor leaguers, uh, just trying to, you know, get some feedback, get, get some word. And I kind of talked to him a little bit, talked to him about what he did and we just kind of kept in contact. And that was at the earlier part of the year as the year went on and I'm with this team that I really, really enjoy being with. I love these guys, but I'm starting to see, you know, we're getting into late June, July. Now things are starting to get a little tight. We go on a two week road trip, Chattanooga to Tennessee. You know, Kodak is one of the worst possible spots you can end up with uh, being in because there's no food. Uh, There's that's the place where there is only, a Subway, McDonald's, Taco Bell, and a Cracker Barrel. Only the Taco Bells open after games. And so if you get a terrible spread at the field, that's your only option. Because you can't, there is nothing within 15 miles that you can order 
for delivery. Okay. Jeez. It's just one of those places where you're stuck. And of course, if you're going to be in a place like that, the food at the stadium has to be the worst too. <laughs> and so that trip, we did that trip twice where we did Chattanooga to Tennessee, a two week trip where we were on the road for two weeks, which is a lot. And, you know, especially with the new schedule, it felt like a lot, a lot ending in Tennessee. And the first time we did it, I was just blown away by how poorly we were being taken care of. One time before the game, we got a Caesar salad and I went off. Like I had a whole rant about the, the Caesar salad because there's no carbs. Yeah. I mean, basic nutrition. If you're going to play an explosive sport, you need carbs. And we got iceberg lettuce with some Caesar dressing and some pizza chicken. No croutons. Like, nothing. No. Jeez. I was I was furious. Yeah. And uh, I think that was right around the time that the A's posted the photo of that piece of bread with the processed cheese on it. Yes. A little fajita with like the shred of chicken. I think it was around the same time. And I just, you know, I'm a, I love baseball. I want baseball to be taken care of. And this was not the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that they were willingly having their athletes eat this stuff. And so... Harry had continued to reach out and he said, hey, you know, I have a contact at ESPN who's been wanting to do a story. Um, would you speak out with your name attached? And at this point, you know, it's mid-July. My, I'm having an okay year, but I'm still probably looking to retire at the end of it. Um, and I go, yeah, you know what? I've got an opportunity to actually, like, maybe leave this game in a better spot or to at least give some credibility to the issues that we have. And so I decided, yeah, there was a moment. um, Actually, Tennessee was in town playing against us. We went out to throw and the rain just came in. I mean, just sheets and sheets of rain. So we all, we all pile into the dugout and I'm like, well, we're not going to throw. So I might as well just go enjoy the rain. Like you never get to go enjoy rain. It was warm rain. It was like 90 degrees out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kicked off my shoes, took off my BP top. So I'm just in a tank top and shorts. And I just walked out, uh, you know, played in the puddles for a little bit and then just went and sat in center field <laughs> and decided it would be a good time to kind of meditate and think about it. You know, what are all the pros? What are the cons? What, what would this mean for me from a career standpoint? Am I potentially losing my chance to ever play or be involved in professional baseball again? Um, so I kind of weighed that all out and I decided, it's it's absolutely worth it if i can speak up and have my voice heard and potentially help the next generations of baseball players all those who come after me then it was absolutely worth losing any chance of continuing my career because i'm just one baseball player among thousands Mm -hmm. but we've all experienced this in one way or another you're just the first to speak up because there's no there's no union for you guys. There's no one yeah. to sit there and be like, hey, you know, I don't like what's going on. Let's get everyone together and get their advice or let's speak to so-and-so. So, yeah, that was a huge move because, you know, potentially you're facing blackballing, you know. Being yeah, black- you know, and that would be really sad for me because this is a game that I think I still have a lot to give to from a uh, – just from a passion point of view. I mean <clears> – <throat> I want to go to Africa and help to develop a game there. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, even now I'm, I'm coaching high school ball and I'm absolutely loving it. It's the first time I've ever done coaching. And uh, I'm just, you know, falling in love with the game from a different angle now. Congratulations. And so, absolutely. you know, for me, it would be a shame to be out of the game, but I'm really hoping that knowing that I spoke up from a place of, you know, deep, deep love and respect for the game of baseball. Um, I just want it to be taken care of. I want the players to be taken care of the next generation. I want to be able to look at this game in 30 years time and be extremely proud of where they're at, of how they take care of their employees, how they take care of their athletes, you know, the change that they're making in the world. That's where I want to see the game go. Mm. And it was never going to happen if we continued to exploit the largest employee body of professional baseball. If that was still allowed to happen, we were never going to start to move on to bigger and, and uh, bolder projects if we're still stuck in paying, you know, elite upper echelon 0.01% athletes the same wages that you were paying them 40 plus years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I think you want to be one of those guys that visits a clubhouse and says, back in my day, we weren't provided with turkey dinners like you have. And back in my day, (laughs) we didn't have a full spread with, you know, the good stuff. You want to be that guy. (laughs) I I mean, yeah, I hope I I hope I can be. I hope I can walk into a clubhouse in 20 years time and, you know, high a ball and just see the most incredible, you know, development system in the world at work, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, putting out just extreme athletes. That's what I want to say. For the see. record, David did say that uh, Toyota Field was pretty nice compared to yeah. other facilities. No, Toyota Field's beautiful. And, uh, you know, the Rocket City Trash Pandas front office and their GM, Garrett Fairman, like, incredible. From day one, they were working with us. And, and I kind of ended up as the uh, go between between the players and the front office. But, you know, getting us an extra day in the hotel when we first arrived, helping broker the apartment deal that we needed to do to actually get into an apartment. Um, a lot of that was done through the the trash pandas and they really throughout the year communicated really, really well with the players. And I, you know, moving forward, they're going to continue to work out some of those growing pains of being a a new franchise, but I, I really, really enjoyed my time there. That's good to hear. At least you got one team in the organization with their uh, head, (laughs) head on straight, but uh, because we've heard some stuff about other squads but uh we'll keep that part quiet <laughs> but, i mean we were fortunate enough to have the opportunity to feed the 66ers a, you know a sushi dinner and that seemed like something that's insignificant but it also shouldn't be up to podcasters and our listeners to you know be feeding players when the alternative was for them to eat meatloaf with mushrooms in it so yeah <laughs> so you know good times with that it, but you know it was so much fun it was so much fun to see the players interact with them and be able to do that yeah, it was like, really cool these are all humans like a lot these are young 20 something year old guys that are just trying to figure out life i mean this is the same age where guys are going through you know college or when you get to the upper levels guys are starting families guys are trying to figure out who they want to be as an adult there's a lot more outside of the game that's going on um that i feel like if, if guys don't have the environment to work on themselves you start to see regression and you start to see guys slip into that depressive loop because they, they don't see any positive change. They don't have the time to work on themselves. They don't have the extra energy because they are so stressed out about 
meals or family or money. Um, and it can, uh, you know, personally, I think it stunted me a little bit. It might stunt other guys. Absolutely. Uh, developmentally, which is not something you want to see. And the Seattle Fernando was saying when we were talking about it a few shows back, or actually when it first all started to go down, um, you know, he was saying, you know, this is the most important time of, the, of your life. Like you said, you're trying to figure out who you be, what kind of career you want to choose. A lot of that stuff you're putting on the back burner because you're chasing your dream. And maybe you have a wife or you have a family or, or whoever significant other that is pushing you saying, Hey, you know what? Maybe you do deserve this. Go for it. And then maybe like you said, emotionally or um, mentally, you may hit a block because, because these people are giving you the green light to hit it. And for whatever reason you don't, you know, yeah. you, you could really take it upon yourself of like, man, I'm a failure. You know, everyone had faith in me and, and then it turns on you. So at least if the organization is, like you said, giving the best tools for you to succeed, the best meal plans, everything to help you get to, or at least get to reach your goal, which in, in, at the, in the end, they should be because it helps their end, uh, end line. Yeah. You know, maybe that would help these players get there instead of having to worry about the per diems and the meals and where they're going to sleep and things like that. Yeah. You know, I think the old idea was like, well, if you're going to make the big leagues, you have to be a grinder. Yeah. Well, great. Now you have a team of grinders, but you don't have the best baseball players. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You might've lost a few of them on the way. Like, absolutely. If how many guys have to retire because they can't afford to play. There's, you there's know, certainly a number. Like, well, they're getting paid, yeah. but you know, no, there's they, certainly a number you, that like goes into debt. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like a great deal of them do, right? I mean, who can afford to live off of, what, $10,000 a year after taxes? Yeah. No, I mean, it's... It's not, it's not feasible. I mean, I said when we were... We've been talking about this for months. And I've constantly said, I mean, if we're having a discussion about guys at Walmart getting paid, or gals, getting paid $10,000 a year at Walmart, you're going to be angry. If we're talking about people, you know, bagging groceries, you can pay $10,000 an hour. Like people would be pissed, but yet it's, you know, they're baseball players. Like it's a privilege. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, it's a mentality that we need to break. I always find that interesting as if baseball players were just plucked out of obscurity into professional baseball as if they hadn't dedicated the previous, you know, 15 years of their life to the sport. Um, yeah. Really what I, what I think professional baseball should be is a reward for your amateur feats if you're an incredible amateur baseball player and you have the opportunity to play professional baseball that should be a reward just to have the opportunity to play professional baseball you should be able to walk away from that with your head held high and i think you should be able to walk away with a paycheck that uh reflects that that you are part of this extremely small percentage of baseball players that has managed to make it to this point where the difference maker between a low a player and a big league player could just be a it could be a guy getting hurt it could be a plane flight that got delayed like it's amazing how many times a guy will get called up from low a high a wherever it is go make their debut in the big leagues and say they're a pitcher they'll go like six innings punch out eight give up two and guess what? Most days you'll take that. That's a big yeah. league pitcher. And the only difference being, can they do that day in and day out? Now, the low A pitcher, if they were to go through 30 starts, would probably do it less days than a big league pitcher. That's the difference maker. It's a game of percentages. It's a game of consistency. The talent 
is really not the, the separator. There are, of course, the hyper-talented baseball players. But if you look at the general population of Major League Baseball, it's a lot of just very good, very consistent ball players. Absolutely. Because, I mean, you have to you have to produce or that's it, you know. Yeah. So if, if you've got that average going in where you're consistent, you're going to have a job. You yeah, if you're, if you're a guy who you know can play rock-solid defense, maybe a couple different positions, hit 270, and yeah, maybe in the minors you only hit like 10 home runs a year, but getting up to the big leagues, ball travels a little bit further, all of a sudden you're getting 17 to 21 home runs a year. You can keep yourself in the big leagues for a good long time with those numbers. Yeah, make a lot more money than you ever thought you would. Uh, all that Nelson Cruz and a lot of other players you could I mean, think about right now. Even look at the Kike Hernandez, the Chris Taylor. I mean, Chris Taylor's about to get paid as he should be. And like, it's just because they're, they put in the work, they can play those multiple positions, and they have a consistent bat that they know they're going to put together a good, a, a good AB every time. The team can trust them to do whatever they need them to do on a field. But you couldn't sit there and say, well, Chris Taylor is on the same par as Mike Trout in terms of talent. Probably not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I can say Chris Taylor is a pretty damn good player. Absolutely. And, and should be in the big leagues for 15 years. Yeah, because if he's not yeah. – we've seen with him, it's like if he's not hitting home runs, he's he's hitting in singles. If he's in a rut, he's taking walks. Um, even in, in his ruts, he's having good at-bats. He's not striking out on three pitches. You know, yeah. he's playing great defense. Yeah, he's working. Yeah, he's out. always going out there playing great defense. But, you know, they're in the minor leagues. You'll see things like guys dragging their bat outs to the field. Hmm. So, like, a right fielder strikes out, ball gets hit down the line, he jogs after it. That's yeah. a difference maker right there. Um, you know, you have a catcher who, you know, pops out with a guy on second and third, and now all of a sudden he doesn't want to frame pitches. Yeah. There's another reason. Little details like that may not get seen by the public, but those are the only difference makers between a lot of major league and minor league players. These little, little things that can only be seen by, for the most part, the personnel who's deciding whether or not to call them up. And like I said, you, you put any player head to head with a major leaguer talent wise, they're usually going to be pretty close or they're going to be able to compete. And, uh, so I'm just I'm hoping to see the game start to reflect that level of play. Time will tell. Um, Todd, do you have anything else as we slowly start wrapping up here? Um, well, just in the no, we talked we talked with uh, was was it Ty Butchery earlier in the year, and he had mentioned to us that he didn't see the changes or any changes coming as far as he, he, he thought that there was a, you know, a good enough amount of chirping going on behind the scenes and people actually starting to talk about the minor league situations, but he didn't think there'd be a change. So the, the a few days ago, we were all shocked to hear that major league baseball is now making it a mandate to have all their minor league teams be taken care of by the, uh, by the major league ball clubs. What, where did you, did you when you heard that news? Did you celebrate? Did you like just be like, "Hey, that's 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 a good victory for us"? Because moving forward with a collective bargaining agreement, I don't think we're going to get much else done, you know, with the minor league system because it seems like they just have way too much to talk about. Hey, yeah. oh, real quick, before uh, before you answer, I don't mean to cut you off. I do want to say 
uh, remember, we are going to be doing a whole minor league panel, Todd. Oh, yeah, my, bad, so, my, bad, my bad, my bad, No, no, you're well, good. No, I'll, um, so go ahead and give your answer. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you kind of – Hey, we need topics for that too. Kind of my story on that now. I'll keep it brief. Uh, I was actually up in Sedona. I was taking a couple of days away to kind of reset and, you know, just try to get my head back on straight. And on the first day we were up there, it was a Sunday, the news broke. Mm-hmm. And I had heard some musings about it the day before, and then it officially on Sunday. And um, no, I didn't. I didn't really celebrate. And the reason why is because there wasn't a concrete plan. Oh, okay. Um, I hate to say it, but I don't trust the MLB to do this correctly. Okay. Um, shockingly, they've dropped the ball a few times before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it actually got to the point where I was having dinner that night and, you know, I was getting messages. So I was kind of having this cognitive dissonance of, I was getting all these messages saying, congratulations, how incredible, you know, all this stuff. And in my head, I'm going, nothing's actually done yet. Like we could move from one terrible system to another terrible system. And the fans may not know that until we have to talk about it the following year. Mm. You know, once again, the minor league players who are actually the ones this is going to fall down on may not have a say in this at all. Yeah. You know, if they just say, oh, here's a stipend and we still have to go out and find housing, that's most of the stress. Mm-hmm. It's just trying to find the housing in the first part of the year. So the the word I've used, or the, the phrase I've used is cautiously optimistic. Okay. I believe that there will be a better system in place. I just, I would like to know the process as it's moving along. I would like to know kind of what they're thinking on, on ways to do it. Um, and the timeline probably. I mean, it's gotta be done by next year. That's what they've said. And so if they try to rush this through, we might end up in a worse situation next year because instead of having the knowledge that we've had from years past on how to do this, if we end up with this kind of half-assed system and we expect something to happen and it doesn't, players are going to get screwed even worse. True. So Absolutely. for now, I, you know, I'll take it as a victory. I think it's really important that things are even happening. Um, but the way I kind of put it in my head uh, was, was Kobe's words, like job's not finished. Yeah. Like, there's still work to do. And uh, and I hope to be there for that work. I really do. I hope to be alongside all the all the incredible personnel that are making things happen. That'd be good to do. Be a consultant, you know. Yeah, consultant liaison, just some guy who shows up. I don't need a title. I don't. I just want baseball to be better. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I really, you know, there there are a lot of ideas I have on certain things that can move around in the game that might be able to alleviate some of the issues we deal with. The problem being minor leaguers never have a voice. Yep. So all this knowledge, all this information that is being lost in the minor leagues could be the key to really engaging and galvanizing the employees to work for something better, to, to put something in place where the players are going, yeah, this is our game. Like we are vested in this game because we have a voice in it. That's what I think we want to get to. Um, and 
And hopefully the MLB sees it as the same type of opportunity to have just an enormous amount of ideas and knowledge come to them. Um, that's basically sitting right in their backyard. Before um, I give you, you know, my closing and <clears throat> kind of tell you what all this and what you were able to do uh, means to people like me and what it means to our community. Uh, let me ask you as of right now, what's next? Uh, have you officially retired? Is that still something you're considering? Where, where are you today? Um, so I haven't put in my paperwork. Um, I was a little disappointed with the way our season had to end. We had COVID cancellations for the last four games. Uh, you know, we all pretty much had to leave without being able to really say goodbye to each other. We had to pack up the locker room in waves. And it just felt like a really kind of a, a lame ending to my personal story in the game. And I would hate to see that be my last, you know, time in a locker room as a player. But there's also the very real possibility that I do not get an offer to play next year. So I'll train, I'll, I'll keep in shape. If I can, you know, I'll train to try and get back up to triple digits and try and force some team's hand. But uh, for now, I'm just coaching and really enjoying that. And um, I'm still working quite a bit with advocates for minor league baseball. Um, you know, this, this is something that I have been involved with since I started and I plan to stay involved with. Um, so yeah, what's next for me is, uh, what Tuesday, <laughs> I just got to take it day by day. Same thing I've always had to do in my career and it's, it rings true now even. Okay. Perfect. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Um, let me start off with uh, by saying the words thank you. You know, the words thank you is something that's very vague and can also be very specific. Um, you spoke up for a cause that people, general people, didn't know they needed to care about. The only thing that matters in life is what we do with the voice that we have. You know, something can be so insignificant in a moment. And it can turn out to be something huge in 20 years. When I say the name, you know, Rick Bunday, people don't think about him as a baseball player. People think about him, you know, taking a flag that was about to get burned in center field. And when I mention your name in 20 years, maybe somebody won't think minor league baseball player. And I don't mean that as a, as a you know, as a knock on you. Yeah. I mean it as somebody might think about you as, you know what? That's the guy who sparked the change. You know, one of my favorite quotes is be the change you want to see in the world. And that's what you did. You know, you gave a voice to people who might have felt voices. You know, it's okay to speak up now. We, you, and I'm sure you've seen there's now multiple minor league players and multiple organizations that have spoke out. And it's okay, question mark, to do it now. I hope so. You know, I hope we're not going to start seeing a bunch of people getting cut for talking about basic rights not being meant. You know, we shouldn't be here talking about somebody having to survive off of less than minimum wage. It's not right. It's not fair. It's not okay. You know, this stuff happens in other countries and we get angry about it. It's happening here in our own backyards, literally in some cases. And people didn't even know. So, you know, you spoke out and that's absolutely awesome. 
Um, we admire that here. Um, we hope that now uh, we can be an ally in any way, shape, and form. If it's something as simple as sharing a, a story that you did, please keep us informed. Uh, you know, we'll retweet, repost, whatever. Uh, we're big fans of minor league baseball because we're big fans of people having a opportunity to live a dream that a lot of us wish we had the chance to live. I mean, you know, I'm 26 years old and I wish I would have had the chance to play minor league baseball. It's something I've never said on the show. I was technically a major league baseball free agent like four years ago. So, you know, I had a couple of tryouts with the Braves and the Diamondbacks and you know, you're living, a, a lot of these people are living dreams that we all wish that we had, but what we don't know is in a lot of cases, they're also living a nightmare. So, you know, you brought that to light and, you know, thank you so much for doing that. Thank you so much for having the courage to do it. Um, and also thanks for having the courage to, you know, come out publicly. That's awesome. Uh, you know, we're big supporters of that too. You know, you know, come as you are. Um, that's basically what I have. I, I know I'm rambling. So, you know, thank you. No, thank I, you. I, I really, really appreciate it. I, I wish I could express that more eloquently. I mean, the, the support I've received from fans and from, you know, player, it's just, it's been overwhelmingly positive. It, it has, you know, it has made all that fear and all that anxiety worth it. Um, to, to hear that people really cared to not only join this cause, but to hear my story, which is something I didn't really expect. Um, but, and to, and to hear people relate to my story and to say, hey, thank you for, for telling it. And it's made me even more confident to be myself, to be authentic, to show those around me that it is a, it is a choice that you can make to live authentically, to be true to who you are, to understand who you are. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes an enormous amount of courage to face down who you think you may be and potentially walk away from that experience as someone else. That is the constant, you know, change is a river, another Marcus Aurelius quote. Once you see one thing come down, the flow takes it and the next thing comes right by. It is incredible to me where we are from where I started 10 years ago in professional baseball. And if my entire legacy in the game uh, boils down to just having athletes be taken care of, then I'm very, very happy with my time in the game. Yeah, you can easily look back and say I built this legacy, this part of it, you know. Yeah, this, I was, I was a maybe the how I would like the final inch of that boulder getting over the hill, but now that it started rolling, I mean, it is. I'm just a small part. I, there's going to be so many people coming out in support of this and I'm just like I said I'm, I'm really grateful to even be involved just remember that people want to care you know what I mean I'm sure that's something you know people want to care naturally whatever it is 
people are naturally empathetic, whether they hide it or not. People want to care. Well, it, it has been eye-opening and inspiring to see just how many people care and just how positive everyone's been. Absolutely. Can't imagine. I mean, that's a, it's been a tough, tough trip for you, but you're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. You're seeing progress and like, you know, it's snowball effect, you know, it get, you know, it, it's cliche, but it gets better. I mean, mm-hmm. for all the different facets, all the different things I've been through, um, stick with it. It gets better. If you really are struggling, find help, whether it's a counselor or a therapist or a really good, smart friend, find somebody. Um, Cause it can really change your life and it may take a few rounds and you may have to go through a few different therapists, but like when you find somebody who can validate you for who you are as a human being and see you as a human being, it can be genuinely life-changing. Absolutely. We have better help as a sponsor. So yeah, oh, really, we, a great we, one. we do support, we do support uh, mental health and well, the ability for people to seek that help and mental yeah, health is so I, important. I, I, it's something that was not normal to talk about, you know, even, two, three years ago, seemingly. Yeah, no, and there's a huge correlation between mental health and athletic performance, mental health and recovery. I mean, yeah. your diet and your mental health. So there's this massive interconnection that I feel has been overlooked. And, you know, part of my, you know, wants in the game is to make sure that we're looking at athletic performance from an interconnected entire body biome perspective, which includes your mood, your stability, your gut, your microbiome, like all these things are so important and scientifically and statistically they all correlate to better performance and so if we have teams that want to win baseball games these are the things that have to happen it's no longer a negotiation of which team does it better. this is getting down to if you want to win baseball games you're going to have to step up as an owner as a front office whatever it may be it's time for you guys to step up because the players already have we put ourselves into positions where we are doing things that players were not doing 20 years ago. And it's just time to have that come back to us a little bit. Absolutely. Tom, oh, anything oh. for closing? It's it's hard to follow that up, isn't it? Um, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of great inspirational words said on this podcast today. So again, we want to thank you, Kieran, uh, for, for being on the show. And uh, also, uh, if you got anything else to uh, that you you want to plug or give a shout out to, want to do that before we get out of here? Uh, I would, you know, recommend everyone go check out advocatesforminorleaguers.com. Um, go see their mission and what they've been trying to do. Uh, like I said, Harry Marino, who I've been working with, has just been, I can't express how tirelessly he has been working to try and make this happen. He spent a few years playing professional baseball. And since then, he has just been dedicated to helping to alleviate these problems. And I just encourage anyone to go check it out, read the about, maybe go support the the cause. Um, but other than that, just no, I, that, that is pretty much all I have. Okay, we'll post that in the link for sure. Uh, for for the podcast but uh yeah this has been an, another uh, uh halos in the infield podcast with your host todd fox and the one and the only fernando mendez and thanks again karen for your time on the show today yeah thank you guys so much for having me i really appreciate it all right take care you too